the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at Let's Talk Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre recorded. We at times have that very same thought upon our hearts. Lord, how long do I have to pray before you answer? It seems like my prayers don't reach any higher than the ceiling. How long? Why do you seem so silent and you seem indifferent to my situation? I used to work as a mechanic and one of my fellow workers had a sign on his toolbox that said, I'm not hard of hearing, I'm ignoring you. Does that sometimes seem to you like a description of God? You know he can hear, so why doesn't he answer? The prophet Habakkuk had that kind of experience with God when he prayed for revival in his land, and it seemed that God was not doing anything about it. As we learned previously on Verse by Verse, God really was at work, but he was working behind the scenes and Habakkuk was unaware of God's plan to answer his prayers. Verse by Verse is a daily Bible class of the air taught by Steve Kreloff, pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. In our last three classes, we learned from chapter 1 of Habakkuk that he was praying for God to bring justice to Judah. And God answered by telling Habakkuk that he was about to destroy the nation. The prophet was understandably dismayed, but never stopped trusting God. Now as we move into chapter 2, we will begin to see that God will, indeed, deal with sin in the manner and time of his own choosing. Now here's Pastor Steve with our lesson. Questions are an important part of life, a very important part of life, and knowing the right questions to ask is an important part of getting the right answers. I think we would all agree to that. Recently, I read a story about a little boy who was lost in a supermarket, and a helpful employee came to his rescue by taking him through and down the various aisles looking for his mother. And each time the employee asked the little boy, do you see your mother? He would respond, no. Well, finally, the employee stood, stood this little guy on a counter and a counter at the front of the store and asked, do you see your mother now? And uh, this time the boy responded, no, I just keep seeing my daddy. (laughs) You see, if you want the right answers, you've got to ask the right questions. Now, last week, we met an Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk who wanted some answers from God. And Habakkuk knew the right questions to ask the Lord. And he boldly asked God questions, not irreverently, but boldly, firmly. Habakkuk started out, and you should turn to the book of Habakkuk. The best way to find it is to go backwards from Malachi, and it's... uh, Just a few books, Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, and just keep going back a few books and you will hit Habakkuk. If you go to Nahum, you have gone too far. But Habakkuk started out by asking the Lord why he hadn't answered his prayers concerning 
punishing or disciplining Judah. Chapter one, verse two through four, he says, how long, O Lord, will I call for help and thou wilt not hear? I cry out to thee violence, yet thou dost not save. Why dost thou make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness, yet destruction? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists. Contention arises. The law is ignored. It means it's numb. It's paralyzed. Nobody cares about it. Justice is never upheld for the wicked surround the righteous. Therefore, justice comes out perverted. In essence, Habakkuk was saying, God, why are you silent and why are you inactive? How long, O Lord, am I going to pray for these things? And yet you let Judah go on in her sin. Why don't you answer my prayer? That's Habakkuk's first question. He asked the right question. It's a valid question. The Lord doesn't rebuke him for that. And we saw last week and by way of application that we at times have that very same thought upon our hearts. Lord, how long do I have to pray before you answer? It seems like my prayers don't reach any higher than the ceiling. How long? Why do you seem so silent and you seem indifferent to my situation? Now, Habakkuk was a godly man. He despised the sin all around him. He was a righteous man. He wanted God to deal with his people in judgment. He couldn't stand to see a corrupt People, especially the chosen people who were to be God's instruments of holiness and righteousness. Then God answered him. Habakkuk asked a question, the right question. God gave him an answer, and that's found in verses 5 and 6. He says, Habakkuk, look among the nations. That is, look among the nations of the world. Look among the Gentile nations. Nations in the Old Testament means any country other than Israel. Look among the nations, look among the Gentiles, observe, be astonished, wonder, because I'm doing something in your days. You would not believe it if it were told I mean, Now he's going to believe it. But Habakkuk, this is so incredible that uh, you're going to have a hard time with this one. For behold, I'm raising up the Chaldeans. That's the Babylonians. I'm raising up the Chaldeans, that fierce and impetuous people who march through the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. In other words, I've heard your prayers, Habakkuk. I've not been uh, indifferent. I'm doing something. You just don't know it. I'm raising up the Babylonians to be my instrument in judging Judah. Habakkuk, you think that I'm silent and you think I'm not interested. Look, look beyond your borders. Look beyond the borders of Israel. Look on the international scene and understand that I am vitally involved in world affairs. I'm raising them up. And of course, Habakkuk understood that God meant I'm raising them up to be my tool to deal with you, with your people. Now, Habakkuk's got a bigger problem. I mean, he started out with a little problem in comparison to this. Now he's got even a bigger problem than the one he started out with. But before he asked God another question, he he takes a step backwards and he affirms in his own heart He affirms in his own soul truths about God that don't bother him. You see, this really shook Habakkuk. This really bothered him. That's why we call this series the profile of a struggling prophet. The guy's got a real problem with this. I told you he's the Columbo of the Old Testament. I've got this problem. He is really struggling. This shook him. And so he settled his soul by affirming what he knew about God. And this is very important. In verse 12, He says this. And by the way, from verses six through 11, God just gives a description of the Babylonians. We went over this last week. But Habakkuk says, art thou not from everlasting 
Oh, Lord, my God, my Holy One, we will not die. Thine, O Lord, has appointed them to judge. And thou, O Rock, has established them to correct. Habakkuk takes a step backwards and he says, I know this about God. He's eternal. He's from everlasting. He's before my problems. He'll be here after my problems. He is everlasting and he has made an everlasting covenant with Israel. And that's why he says we will not die. Habakkuk knows the Abrahamic covenant. God is going to raise up a nation. God has promised to continue that nation. Habakkuk understands that God is not through with Israel. Habakkuk understands what some theologians today don't understand. He understands we will not die. We're not going to be annihilated. God, you're everlasting. You've made an eternal covenant, which you will not break because not only are you eternal, but you are holy. Do you notice that? He says in verse 12, O Lord, my God, my holy one, you will not break your word. I, I affirm that. I understand that. I don't understand a whole lot more, but I understand that. So he expresses that. Now, once he reassures his soul, and that's the way to deal with the problem. You don't focus on what you don't understand, although you have to be honest. You ought to be honest and share it with the Lord. But you focus on what you do understand. In other words, you don't focus on doubt and you don't dwell on doubt. You focus and dwell on what you know to be true, the things that, that don't bother you. But now he asks God another question. And in verse 13, we read this. Thine eyes are too pure to approve evil. And thou canst not look on wickedness with favor. Why dost thou look with favor on those who deal treacherously? Why art thou silent when the wicked swallowed up those more righteous than they? Now, he's got a problem with God's ways. He knows that his people are sinful. I mean, that's why he's been praying. But he looks at the Babylonians and it's common knowledge that they are much more wicked in terms of outward behavior than Judah. And he's got a problem with God's ways. In essence, he's saying, Lord, we're sinful, but we're not as sinful as the Babylonians. How can you, who are a holy God, send them to punish us and let them get away with it? Now, he's got a problem with God's ways. How can you allow Babylon to prosper? You see, first Habakkuk had a problem with God's silence and inactivity. Now the prophet's got a problem with the way God has answered his prayers and God's activity. He's got a real problem. He's a struggling man. He's confused. And he expresses that problem really starting with verse 13, but going through the end of the chapter. And that's his that's his problem. God, it doesn't seem just. It doesn't seem right. How you can send the wicked people to deal with us when in comparison, we're not as wicked as them. And we have a problem with that, too. We understand that we understand what it's like. God, I make one false move and, and you discipline me. But I see people out there who do horrible things and they never seem to get away with it or, or they always seem rather to get away with it. I never seem to. Now, having expressed his questions and problems and confusions and struggles with God, chapter two, verse one says this, and this is marvelous. I will stand on my guard post and station myself on the rampart. And I will keep watch to see what he will speak to me and how I may reply when I am reproved. There is a, a, a question in the Hebrew uh, translation of this or the translation into English of that last expression. At least it's, it's translated in my Bible and how I may reply when I'm reproved. Hebrew scholars suggest that it should be translated when he answers my complaints, 
rather than reproved. I don't I don't see that God really rebuked or reproved Habakkuk here. And so you want to keep that in mind. He just is saying, I, I want to know when he answers my complaints. I'm I'm watching for that. It's not so much a rebuke. That's where we left Habakkuk last week. He's sitting and he is waiting for God to answer. Now, the imagery here is of an of a watchman in ancient times in ancient Israel. In fact, not just in Israel, but in ancient times, they built walls around the city, uh, a fortress, a protection, and they would appoint a watchman to go sit on the high point in, in, a, in perhaps even a little tower, a watchtower, as a lookout on the wall. And his job was to spot any danger. He'd be the first one to see danger coming in the form of an army, an attacking invasion, something like that. So he's on a lookout post, and that's the imagery here. Now, Habakkuk is saying, I'm on the lookout. I'm on the watchtower. And Lord, I'm waiting for the first sign of your answer. I want I want to see how you answer my complaints, my struggle, my problem. That doesn't mean I don't think that Habakkuk uh, physically went to a watchtower. It's speaking of an attitude of heart, not a geographical location in this in this context. His attitude of heart was one of anticipation and one of watchfulness. Now, he's going to wait for God's solution to his problem. And chapter two contains that solution. Chapter one, if you want to put a heading on the chapter, I call it the prophet's struggle. Now, this chapter two is the is the prophet's solution. Really, it's God's solution for the prophet. The solution. What is the solution? I know you can't wait to get to it, but you're going to have to for a few moments, because before we see how God answered Habakkuk, we need to learn from Habakkuk's approach to his problem. We need to understand how Habakkuk approached this problem and we need to learn from it because the way that this prophet approached this problem is a glorious way and it's the way that we need to approach our problems. And I believe that Habakkuk got such marvelous answers directly uh, dealing with the problem because he had a godly approach to his struggles. So let's just pause for a moment and, and see the way to solve and, and handle a seemingly unsolvable problem. First of all, Habakkuk committed his problem to the Lord. That sounds so basic. Well, of course we know that. But do we know that? Do we, do we obey that? He committed his problem to the Lord. It, it is so basic and yet so foreign from the way we handle our problems. He left his problem with God. He didn't get on his knees, pray about it, give it to the Lord, and then get up from his knees and start worrying about it. Now, you do that. I know because I do it. We're no different. I understand that. I understand what it's like to get before the Lord and lay it all out before the Lord and say, Lord, take it. It's yours. I don't want it. And then five minutes later, now, how am I going to handle this thing? It's it's as if we never prayed. What good was our prayer if we take it back? I don't need uh, the Lord to help me with worry. I can do that without praying. The psalmist said in Psalm 37, verse 5, commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he will do it. Commit your way. Hand it over to the Lord. Unlike the way many of us handle our problems, Habakkuk recognized that human ingenuity couldn't figure this one out. And he didn't run to the local rabbis and and he didn't get a school of prophets together and say, guys, have I got a big one now? He didn't do that. He didn't pray to the Lord and uh, say, Lord, you deal with it. And then everybody who we met on the street, he said, now, I got to ask you this. How would you handle this? No, he didn't do that. 
He says, I'm going to look to God and to God alone to solve this problem. I'm, I'm not taking it back. It's his to resolve. Marvelous. And that's the true spirit of prayer. That's what prayer is all about. It's when you've got a problem, when you've got an unsolvable problem, hand it over to the Lord and leave it with him. Don't worry about it. Don't take it back. Refuse to even think about it. In his commentary on on, uh, Habakkuk, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, one of my favorite expositors, says this. He said, we may have to be almost violent in forcing ourselves to do this. You may have to be almost violent with, with yourself. No, I'm not taking it back. No, I don't care how tempted I am. I don't care that Satan is flooding my mind, especially at night. When you're alone with your thoughts. No, I'm not going to think about it. You almost have to. In fact, you do have to get violent with your spirit. You have to refuse to think about it. Don't share it with everyone you meet. Just drop it in God's lap and depend on him and not others to answer it. Now, that's not saying all of the problems. I mean, God uses people to help. And so this is saying those biggies that you can't resolve in your own thinking. And you've turned to the Lord and you've depended on him. Then leave it with him. Isn't this an illustration of what Paul meant in Philippians chapter four? If you don't know Philippians four, you will in a while because we're going to study that. Philippians chapter four, Paul says this. And I think what Habakkuk is doing is an illustration of it in verse six and seven. Be anxious for nothing. Don't worry about anything, what he's saying. Be anxious for nothing. But what about something? No, be anxious for nothing. There's nothing that qualifies this. He doesn't say there's an exception to this. Don't worry about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. Share it with God. Don't worry about it. Share it with God. And he says, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You want that peace of God? You've got to turn it over to him. Don't worry about it. Be thankful for everything. Pray about anything. Just turn it over to him. That's what Habakkuk did. Isn't this what First Peter 5 says? Casting all your care upon who? Him. And they had a lot of problems. That's a suffering church he's talking to in First Peter. Casting all your problems upon him. Why? Because he cares about you. He's not indifferent. God is listening and God is active and God wants to be involved in the process of solving your problem. So be honest with the Lord. Be honest with him, but then give it to him. Don't take it back. And I'm preaching to myself as well as you. Because I know what it's like to give things over to the Lord And then to have these things brought back to your mind and to dwell on them and to try to figure it out. You only go deeper and deeper into discouragement and introspection and into depression. Give it to the Lord and leave it there and get your mind on something else. Our attitude needs to be, God, it's no longer my problem. It's yours. You take care of it. Secondly, not only did Habakkuk commit his problem to the Lord... But Habakkuk prayed about it and he expected God to answer him. That is to say, he was waiting for God. He knew what he asked and he expected God to answer. He's on his watchtower looking for an answer, at least an attitude of heart. The principle is this. Expect God to answer you and don't forget to wait upon him. Wait on him. Some of us are just too impatient to wait. We want it now. I mean, we live in a world of instant grits, so we think everything has to be instant. 
I mean, I live in a world of instant grits, I should say. And so we think everything has to be instant gratification. We think everything should be now, especially the answers to our prayers. It's like the person who prayed, Lord, give me patience and I want it now. And, and really, we laugh at that, but that's our attitude. Someone has said this, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, seldom found in a woman and never in a man. I don't think that's totally true. I want you to know, and, and uh, Habakkuk is certainly an exception to that little ditty, because Habakkuk wasn't like that. He was patient. He said, Lord, you've got the problem, and I'll be watching, and I'll be waiting, and I'll be listening for your answer. And God did answer him and God does answer. And we need to affirm that in our hearts. God answers prayer. He may not answer it right now. He may not even answer it the way you want him to answer it. But he answers. How does God answer our prayers when you have that uh, seemingly unsolvable problem? Well, there's a number of ways. Let me just give them to you. First of all, he could and does answer by his word. You have a real problem on this and you are struggling with something, God has an answer many times to those specific issues in principle uh, in his word. And you're reading the word of God and you come across something. and That's it. That's what I ought to do. God gives much direction in his word concerning marriage, concerning families. That's what I ought to do. And uh, instead of rushing around to so many counselors and seeking this help and that, there are answers in the word of God to some of life's difficult problems. Sometimes specifically, sometimes in principle. Some of these things that we struggle with are answers in the word of their answers in the word of God. And you're reading it and God can God brings it to your understanding. And you say, that's the answer. What should I do? Here's the answer. Other times, God uh, confirms something in your heart. He just gives you that that desire in your heart. He'll uh, he'll give a, a burden to your heart. Now, it's always consistent with his word. And I want to say that I want to I want to leave that for a moment, but always consistent with his word. But sometimes God just puts a burden on your heart. And sometimes he just confirms that there's an inner witness in your spirit. And uh, you say, I know that's it. That's the end. This is what God wants me to do. Other times he uh, he uses circumstances to lead us and show us the way. But I want to say this. It's always consistent with his word. That's very important. I can't tell you how many times people have said things to me that totally violate God's word. And you know what they're when I tell them that, for instance, let's say someone comes to me and says, uh, I'm leaving my husband or I'm leaving my wife or I'm or, or someone will say, uh, I'm a believer and I'm getting married to this unbeliever. But that's all right. Why? Why is that all right? Because I've prayed about it. So what? So you've prayed about it. If it's not in accord with God's word and that is not in accord with God's word, then you don't really even have to pray about it because you've got the answer. Or someone will say, I have peace in my heart about this. Well, you'll never have the peace from God about something that violates the scriptures. So always when you're looking for something, you keep in mind that it has to be consistent. It will never violate his word. Jonah was a great example of the unreliability of inner peace as a righteousness gauge. Jonah was in open defiance of God and sleeping peacefully in the bottom of the ship when God sent a storm to get Jonah headed back in the right direction. Far too often we confuse the peace of willful self-delusion for the peace of God. When we have peace about plans that violate God's word, then that is not the peace of God. We are glad you joined us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff is taking us one verse at a time through the book of Habakkuk. 
Pastor Steve is the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. These radio adaptations of his messages are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry made possible by the prayers and gifts of our listeners. If you have been blessed by these Bible studies of the air, would you pray about becoming part of our support team? To find out how, visit our website, versebyverseradio.org. Besides support information, we have hundreds of MP3 files that you can listen to online or download for later. Our lesson today was the start of a three-part message. If you would like to listen to the entire message at one time without announcements, give us a call at 727-239-0306. If you get the answering machine, leave your name and phone number, and we will get back to you during regular office hours so that you can order your cassette or audio CD. The number again is 727-239-0306. Golfing legend Lee Trevino, after being struck by lightning on the golf course, joked that the next time there was lightning in the area, he would hold up a one-iron. For you non-golfers, most players consider the one-iron to be the most difficult club there is to use. Trevino said even God can't hit a one-iron. I don't think Trevino meant that God was judging him, although that may have been the case for all we know. But rest assured, he can easily hit a one-iron if he wants to. Let's gather back here. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.